Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street, presented by Fangoria. What? I'm John. I'm Kim. And we are here today to talk to you about two spooky ghost stories. Two classic silver screams. We're capping off silver scream month with The Haunting and Carnival of Souls. But before we get into all that stuff, it's kind of a big deal this episode. It's kind of a big deal. Is that the the that's the emphasis voice? I was a ghost for a second. <laughs> it was a big deal. <laughs> you like you have your own hype team, but it's ghosts. <laughs> but it's ghosts. <laughs> I'm into it. First of all, we have a brand new intro, which it's is brand spanking new. Very exciting. We haven't had changed our intro for like three years, so I mean, it's still classic, still very reminiscent of old Nightmare on Film Street intro. Still Wolfman Jack from Beyond. Is what I'm calling it. Um, but yeah, this is our first episode as part of the Fangoria Podcast Network. Hello, Fango fam. We are so happy to be uh, included on the Fangoria Podcast Network. And if this is your first time listening to the show, we're just a couple of Canadian weirdos obsessed with horror movies who've who had been talking to each other too long uh, and decided to open the floor up to you fiends out there. Yeah, Nightmare on Film Street started in 2016. We've been doing this for four years now. How we're different from other horror podcasts, other podcasts, is it's just John and I. Every other week, we talk about two different horror films. We pick a theme or a mood or a weird title, and we go off on two horror films. So it is a full spoiler discussion. If you're new to the podcast, the movies we're going to talk about today, we are keeping no secrets. So if you want to watch the films beforehand, we totally recommend that you do. In between our full-length episodes, we always let you guys know what movies we're talking about ahead of the show, so you you can watch the films a week beforehand and get refreshed, or you can just go in blind and hope that we don't ruin a big surprise. And don't feel like you have to be an expert of every horror movie out there. This podcast is a celebration of watching movies. Totally, and uh, we like to describe Nightmare on Film Street as the conversation after the horror movie at the coffee shop or the bar. We're just inviting you guys to talk in with us, so uh, I'm so excited to get started. This feels like it's episode one, like I feel like we're starting new. Yeah, it's volume two, episode one. I'm like, oh god, how do we do this? Like, Kim, you've been doing it every week for four years, like, get your shit together. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, all of a sudden. Oh, that's my name. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have answers anymore. What do I like? (laughs) But we like to start every episode of the podcast by asking each other a very simple question. Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? Well, John, I don't know if you know this, but we saw a movie together this weekend. That's true, yeah. It was The Turning. 
an adaptation of The Turning of the Screw. Look, the cat's out of the bag. We've uh, The entire internet's talking about it. None of us seem to be happy with the ending of the movie. <laughs> the we're, ending? Yeah. We're not going to spoil anything here because we're not talking about that movie specifically. And it only just came out. So if you haven't had a chance to see it, don't feel like you need to skip ahead. We are, Kim especially, I think, big fans of gothic horror. Whoop, whoop, whoop. You, oh, you got ghosts on your gigantic, <laughs> in your gigantic mansion property? We're coming. Billowy we'll see curtains, it. what? <laughs> yeah, right? Maybe a little haunted cherub in there? Yeah, if there's anything that The Turning has taught me, and then my subsequent watching of The Innocence right after when we got home. Oh, what a good double bill. <laughs> is that I don't think I actually like The Turning of the Screw story. Just, well, hey, may- maybe if you had to watch The Innocence first. I read the the story. I read it. Oh. And I remembered really liking it, but maybe it's a format that that's only suited to gothic horror fiction and doesn't translate to the screen because it just doesn't seem like a monumental enough story. It's, yeah. No, having watched The Innocence, it does seem a little low key. Yeah. You're like, I want more. The cinema score is out there already now, too, and it doesn't... Oh, what's the cinema score? The cinema score is an F. Oh. I read somewhere that in 2018 and 2019 had zero F scores, which I don't think is true. That's not true. When did Mother come out? Mother had an F. Did it have an F? Yeah. I think that might have been... 2017. Do you have a Don't we already have two for this year? That's the thing. This year has two already. Wow. (laughs) And apparently 2018 and 2019 had zero Fs, but I highly doubt that. If you are looking forward to seeing it in the theater, please let us know what you thought, especially if you liked it. If you like this movie, don't be ashamed. Let your love for a weird movie fly. Uh, I like plenty of weird movies. I'm constantly dying on the Jason Takes Manhattan Hill, but that's my battle, not yours. (laughs) Unless you'd like to join me, I could really use the support. But coming up this week, we also have Gretel and Hansel, which Woo! is Gretel and Han- My brain doesn't want to say it in that order. I have failed to do it every single time I've tried to say it. Gretel and Hansel. Yeah, you did it. Are coming to theaters this weekend. <laughs> it's going to be great. From Osgood Perkins, director of... Uh, it's going to be moody as fuck. Right? Which is like all I really... That guy, yeah. that guy can get an atmosphere Ooh. going like Man, nobody's I still, business. I hope that the house is still gingerbread because I'd like to see him tackle some morbid gingerbread. What if it's or like at least a, some gingerbread? You know what I'm thinking? Black licorice. It's made of black licorice. <laughs> the one like that's a candy a witch would have because it's gross. Yeah, but she's not. She doesn't have candy because she's got no palate. She's got candy to entice the childrens. You excited for it? I am. I'm, I'm very I'm, excited. I'm really looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's gonna be creepy. We're gonna be recording a full review. Spoilers and all discussion of Gretel and Hansel uh, this weekend. You can find that over at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. If you want to hear our thoughts, compare them with your own, and just get our impressions immediately out of the theater. Kim and I do not talk to each other between the theater and the recording studio. We pretend like we're strangers and we just happen to be riding in the same car. (laughs) We used to record in the car, but we live in Canada and it's really fucking cold. Oh, yeah. I mean, the audio quality was not always the greatest. Audio colony was not very great. Yes, but if you'd like to hear that, you can find that at Patreon, where you can find an entire back catalog of all of the big movie releases. If you want to wet your whistle a little bit, there is still an episode available to you for free that you don't actually have to become a recurring supporter to listen to. It's the Godzilla King of Monsters release. Just go to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street and search Godzilla. And while we're talking about Patreon Town, we do have a few new patrons to shout out to say thank you to for supporting Nightmare on Film Street. Of course, I want to give a big shout out to Veronica, Alyssa, Danny, Britt, and Troy B. Forget about that Troy A business. Troy C? Pfft, I haven't seen him in weeks. Troy B, that's our man. <laughs> 
Thank you all so much for supporting us uh, at Patreon. I hope you enjoy all of those bonus episodes and the merch discounts, the shoutouts on the show. But more importantly, I want to give you a little piece of advice. This is free for me to you and anybody else listening, really. If there is a dark carnival in your town, don't go to it. It's like there is there is like I don't want to give away too much of this week's episode, but I'm just saying dark abandoned carnival calling to you. Probably not a good sign. Oh man, even worse of a sign than hey, most haunted house in the world, would you like to come die here? Like those are all invitations you should not accept. <laughs> And you will find none of that ghostly funny business at Patreon. Thank you again for your monthly support. This show would be a nightmare without you. And before we let you go, we just want to celebrate one last time, Silver Screams Month. January has been a celebration of all things black and white, classic horror. We're finishing up with this episode. We also did Psycho and Les Diabolique in the last episode. Ah, that was a lot of fun. And we opened this month with a celebration of silent film pairing Nosferatu and The Cabinet of Dr. Kilgari, a movie whose ending is so good, we're still copying it today. <laughs> and if you have not had your fill yet of classic horror content, hit up nofspodcast.com for a ton of articles on all of your favorite frights of yesteryear. We totally understand if black and white horror isn't necessarily your thing, and that's why February we are switching gears real hard. In a month-long celebration, we're calling leap fear we're talking time travel we're talking time loops time paradoxes flat circles the uh, stakes eating their own tails there's a lot of david lynch stuff in there and also uh just just a lot of figurative analysis and interpretations of time in horror so and monsters that come back every 27 years yeah you know those guys you can find all of that fun stuff over at nofspodcast.com where we have an entire editorial team just continually pumping out just like some of the most interesting content online. Guaranteed, no matter your obsession, you will find something you love at nofspodcast.com. But enough keeping us creepies. Let's get into the meat of this week's episode. Let's talk about The Haunting from 1963. <laughs> Tonight the dead will walk, and you, unbeliever, will scream unheard. Stop it! The haunting. What do we really know of that other world of hauntings, of apparitions in the night, of the sinister powers of darkness? The Haunting was produced and directed by Robert Wise, the brilliant producer of West Side Story, and stars Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, Russ Tamblin. deny terror. You cannot look the other way. You have to face the supernatural. Face the chilling mysteries of forces you cannot understand or control when the haunting holds you in its spell. The haunting. From 1963, Robert Weiss's The Haunting is currently sitting at an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, 74% on Metacritic, and a 3.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So I'm going to be entirely honest with you. Yeah. I don't know if I ever gave this movie the time of day. I'm going to be entirely honest with you. <gasps> Same deal. Like, I've seen this movie before. I have too. But I don't feel like I ever watched it. I don't think I ever gave a shit. No. And then my own fucking fault, because this movie is actually pretty darn wonderful. Oh, I know. He directed the fuck out of this movie. Yeah. This movie is pulling all fucking stops. And I 
Oh, I should have written it down. I wrote down character names and ratings, and I didn't write down the cinematographer's name, and I feel like an absolute ass. Uh, What an ass you are. Holy shit, this movie, the camera is just constantly sweeping around the scenery in this. And it's like a claustrophobic uh, set. There are sconces and filigree and columns and shit everywhere. Mirrors. Like, it it has got to be a nightmare shooting in any kind of a place like that. I would think so. Especially all the mirrors. There's a mirror on every wall. Oh, they solved that problem. They just hold them all. On the floor. Basically, yeah. Just like, let's, it's 70 degrees on this mirror. But for a building that is said to have no right angles, that actually works out as a pretty eerie touch. That is one of the dumbest touches of this whole movie. Shut up, John. It was (laughs) wonderful. I loved it. Oh, there's no, oh, everything's slightly askew. Nothing is, there's no right angles. Nothing is square. That's why the door's all But that helps maintain the ambiguity between whether Eleanor is cuckoo bananas or if she's actually being haunted except the movie immediately except says she might the movie's cuckoo <laughs> she's bananas. cuckoo bananas <laughs> there's no doubt at any point and all the characters are like you know what though it's for the best <laughs> it's what she wants <laughs> i have to say that theo is my favorite human being of all time because she is so catty. But then the doctor. Unnecessarily. There are so many so. scenes when the doctor comes in. He's like, oh, he, she's just trying to get a rise out of you because if you're mad, you'll no longer feel like you're in pain. And she's like, mm hmm, that's what I'm doing. I'm being nice to you. <laughs> Fuck you, Theo. <laughs> you're the fucking worst. Or like, Theo's a huge bitch to Eleanor. And then the doctor's like, Theo, go take her to a room. And she's like, she's the problem. She's part of the problem. Yeah, she. Oh, that haircut scene, too. Where she's oh, yeah. just like, oh, looks like you got a new haircut. Don't what's going on with that? She's you like, know, it was your fucking idea. Okay, so you know why, though? It's because Theo wanted to be close like sisters. And Eleanor wanted the fairy tale romance with the doctor. Oh, of course. And Theo was low-key 1963 gay. Oh, yeah, for sure. Totally. Absolutely. And a little psychic. <laughs> yeah, just... A little bit psychic. I don't know if she was Sugar psychic. Sugar and spice and all things psychic. I think she's just psychotic. Like that woman is like that woman can see John. she's sociopathic she Smildly can see sociopathic. through people she knows exactly what to say to get a rise out of them to manipulate them she is just very very good at picking up on subtle cues she, I love her she understands human nature more than she understands like ghostly apparitions she's a wonderful character she's great and I think you know it's it's to her credit that we have a character like Catherine Zeta Jones in the the remake that came along. Which <laughs> I'm not necessarily fond of, and I gotta say this. Uh, okay, yeah, we've got the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. We've got Stephen King's Rose Red. We've, you know, we've covered every <laughs> iteration of Shirley Jackson's story on this podcast. And I gotta tell you, I've Haunting re- from 1999. Yeah, well, we've done that. I have not read the book. I should read the book. I feel I like I gotta, I, I gotta I, close the circle, right? I think I listened to the audiobook, but I don't remember how much I got through. I mean, it kind of counts. I have to tell you this story. It's book. a book story. Sure, let's hear it. <laughs> okay. So, and every time I hear the any kind of version of the Haunting of Hill House story, I think of this, uh, this time. Uh huh. And I was in high school. I magical may, time. I, I hope I didn't tell this on the podcast already. Uh, you sharing some truth right now? I am. Okay. I'm downloading you quiet, on a okay. on an experience that I had in it's high school. It's just us here right now. So it was like the cafeteria one day at lunch. Yeah. There was this girl reading 
um, a horror novel. Oh, and you two could just be best friends. And it, shut up, John. <laughs> let me let me let me take you back to that simple time to where somebody that I used to know is <laughs> on the radio all the okay, time. Okay, so the novel looked really cool. It was like. <laughs> 300 or so pages it was the leaves that just um, started to fall off the tree it was like green and black and like so the house was like a silhouette and it was black and the background was all green and there was like smoke and shit and i was like what are you reading and she's like oh it's really great it's like this haunted house novel and i was like i'm about that and i was like can i borrow it when you're done and she was like you totally can is this a dream this is a person you don't know no this really happened and so i borrowed this book and i was like really getting into it and then you never saw that girl again because she was a ghost right no (laughs) and then she undid the ribbon around her neck (laughs) yeah no so and then it was kind of the same thing like it was a group of people are going to investigate this haunted house or whatever and i honestly i did not commit a lot of it to memory because it turned out to be a religious propaganda book oh good and it was all for jesus of course she let you borrow this book yeah it was it was a fucking trap she was a plant she's definitely a 30 year old who she drew barry more than you (laughs) she's like this girl's never been kissed yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it turned out like it was all in the main character's mind because she hadn't accepted Jesus. And it was just like, I was like, what is happening? Wow. True story. I should have just went to the library and took out Shirley Jackson's Haunting of Hill House. Oh, it's definitely the Haunting of Schmill House, right? Like, it's it's right beside it. So oh. that way you can, you grab it. It's it's like when Blockbuster used to have those rentals. Like, oh, you can have this movie if you come back. Here's a here's a free rental. But, the whole but you wind up getting something like low-rent knockoff version oh, yeah, of the totally. same movie. <laughs> the whole half, first half of the novel was a Haunted House story. And then all of a sudden it was just like, blue, 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 blue. Like, it was like Wayne's World. Schmiddly-doo, schmiddly-doo, schmiddly-doo. Wow. Go Some, to church. <laughs> somebody got like the wrong writing grant to finish that book. Oh boy. Damn. Yeah, so that happened to me. True story. Wow. How did we get here? We were talking about skewed mirrors. Uh, I, I, I know that we derailed. So that, so we're talking about stories. We're talking about books. Shirley Jackson, Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House is a book that I've never read and I hope to one day because I gotta tell ya... With every iteration that we've seen of this movie, every Eleanor is a wiener. Eleanor's a wiener, and I don't think I like this story. <gasps> yeah, I don't <sighs> like. I, okay, I'll say it here on this podcast right now. One, I've I've already stated my claim on I don't like the haunting. No. Nineteen ninety nine. I just don't like it. John, you're hurting uh, me. I don't. You really don't like, like Rose, Rose Red. Red. <laughs> not to not to oh. open up old wounds. Oh my god. I have seen bits and pieces of The Haunting of Hill House, enough to know that it's not my bag. Uh, and The Haunting, gorgeous to look at. Fuck, I love, this is like one of the best black and my white horror movies. My mouth is hanging but open. <laughs> the story, oh, the story is boring. No. <laughs> it's boring. Oh, no. I took care of my mother and now I can't wait to take care of these ghosts. I don't care. <sighs> Are you going to see the Turning of the Screw movies with me? I'm going to see it. It's not Are like... you going to hate them? Yeah, based on the trailer. Well, like... I'm not, I don't really think I'm going to like that other one, but there's another one that looks like it might be okay. I'm, I'm into it. I think it's on Hulu. It's not The Haunting of Hill House. It's Why a different story. Why don't you like gothic horror stories? No, 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 no. I do. I just don't think I like this one. Like, Why? I, I, it doesn't do anything Five for people me. die in the opening of this movie. The opening of this movie rocks. Come on, <laughs> let's be real. The opening of this movie is the plot of this movie. Yeah, and I got all of it in five minutes. Yeah, but everything is like an echo of the beginning, like... Ghosts are just echoes of the past. I love it. It's and a great Eleanor's idea. an echo of the ghosts. See, the way it's presented, it's very good, but... 
I get real bogged down halfway through this movie just thinking okay, like it's so kind of boring. Eleanor's cuckoo bananas and her journey is annoying. Yeah, every but time. Everything else is good. I mean, there are yeah, yeah, really yeah. great ideas. Theo is a great character. The whole like psychological study thing, like I'm fucking about that shit. I'm about it in Haunting 1999. I'm about it in Rose Red. And I'm about it here. I'm not about it in The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix because that storyline got nixed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like it. It's a small, for me, it's a small part. It does not overshadow. Like it, Honestly, I'll say this right now so we can continue in a very peaceful discussion. It does not. I want to flip this table. <laughs> it, it does not affect how I would rate this movie. And that's, all, and that's because I've seen this story a thousand times, so it's not going to change anything. This is the story. I don't necessarily like the so, story. So, what is your first reaction <laughs> yeah. when Mrs. Dudley does her any, <laughs> her any nearer than town, I won't come nearer than that, <laughs> in, the, in night. the night, in the dark? In the dark. <laughs> the first time? First time. No, good. I mean the haunting. Well, yeah, this, the, the, first time, oh, the first time she does for it? For this haunting. Yeah, well, see, the, the first time that I heard it was you <laughs> in my ear, like 30 <laughs> seconds before she said it, because you were just like, oh, this is when she says it! Like, <laughs> it was good. You almost you almost lined up with her, but then, but then no. And that's fine. It was good. I like it. I think it's great. Uh, it's it's one of those lines that you know you you can just tell is ripped straight from the book because they loved it so much. Um, it's pretty good. It is really good. When she says it a second time, though, uh, I hope it's being played for humor because good god, is it a laugh it's out loud? It's funny though. She yeah. smi- she smirks at one point because Eleanor repeats uh, part of her. Yeah, she repeats diatribe. Yeah, because yeah. she definitely says it to everybody. I, I I like her character because she does not give enough of a shit to say anything other than the exact same boilerplate speech to whoever comes in the house. I love the there's that one scene where they're all like fighting over breakfast and she comes in at one point and she's like, I clear up at 10. <laughs> and she just like keeps repeating it throughout the scene while Until everyone's fighting. Fight. And then they're like, leave us. She's like, ugh. Oh. Because <laughs> like, she doesn't want to have to offset lunch now too, right? Like, God. Yeah, you, She's the best character in the movie. Her, oh, yeah. Her and her husband are great. Her and her husband are just assholes. They're like, just cold people. And so they should be. They've chosen a line of work for which they can be. They seem it's a very, very anti-social upset about a job that they've chosen. Maybe they're dead, John. I'm going to say no on that one. Okay, they're not. <laughs> but Yeah, definitely not. But it was a valid argument. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I, uh, I don't know. It just seems like, what is the nicest way to say this? I don't know what you're trying to say, so I can't help you. Uh, I've met a lot of people like the Dudleys who are in a position they don't like that are very mad at everybody else that they have to work for. Yeah, but, but I, uh, I think but they don't have do chosen, anything to change. They have chosen a position suited to their talents, their expertise, and their interests because they it are, sounds like they could do it in a place that isn't haunted. The house it is, sounds like they want to do it in a place that isn't haunted. The house is normally empty. <laughs> oh, so it's an easy gig and they're lazy. Mm. They're definitely not lazy. It sounds like she cleans that house. They're like eight day. million bedrooms. Yeah, and she she keeps a tidy house. I don't think there's a no. That's not true. There's plenty of rooms that have a musty smell. Like there's even a room that they're like, oh, we shouldn't go in here. The musty smell is The air is probably poison. <laughs> it's because it's ghosts. That makes sense. Yeah. You know what this movie really needed though is a good seance scene with some ectoplasm and shit. It was missing a seance scene. I, I do think it. though yeah. that that is because. Mm-hmm. These characters aren't quite 
the psychics to the level that Stephen King ramped them up to in Rose Red. They yeah. are like subtly they're psychic. They're like Olympic psychics in Rose Red. Yeah, and this they're they have expressed psychic bil- abilities to the point of being noted down by a psychic society. Yeah. But nothing else. Like uh Theo is like intuitive and Eleanor had rocks fall? Yeah, right. That's all they got. <laughs> <laughs> she owns half a car and she had rocks <laughs> rain down on her for a week. Half a car that she's not allowed to use. By the way, I don't I don't mean to to jump this entire movie. No, let's do it. But I got to say, uh you know at the beginning she's fighting with her sister and her brother-in-law because she wants to leave. She's finally got an opportunity to get the fuck out of the house. Mom's gone. She doesn't have to take care of mom. A vacation has come and she wants to use her fair share of the car that she helped purchase to go on this vacation. And they're worried because I guess they don't think she can take care of herself. But also, we, you know, we're concerned that you might not bring the car back in the same shape you left it. And she crashes that fucking car at the end of the movie. Oh, and yeah. they were right. <laughs> they shouldn't have let her go because now they are carless. <laughs> she th- was pretty unhinged the whole time, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so unhinged. Would she you please like, just I let me it. go and commit suicide in a gothic manner? Oh. I love Hill House. I hate Hill House. Why are they writing my name on the wall? They know me. I belong here. I'm going to jump off this window. No, I'm going to climb the staircase and jump off. Like, Eleanor, hurry up and make up your goddamn mind. Yeah, before the Dudleys You come. need to be dead to be with a ghost, don't you know? <laughs> Yeah, there's no part-time ghost. You can't vacation as a living no, person. No, you're not Mrs. Dudley. You don't have. You are not stone cold enough for that job. Oh boy! You you sat near a harp that played on its own, and you were like, "I wonder if he loves me." <laughs> and then his wife came. And she didn't sure you did. feel like a living fool? Oh, I like that wife character a lot. I liked really, her too. She's good, um, but also just like how she appears is really interesting. So, um, just jumping back a little bit. I do love that in these movies, a lot like Stephen King's Rose Red, we have the best of the best. Like, these are. We could not get any bloody better. These are the, the talents are suited for this job. This one, it's just like, oh, yeah, we picked some people that are, are definitely good at what they do. And we're only left with the two people who didn't do any research. <laughs> like, these are the people that get emails about a Nigerian prince who wants to put a million dollars in their bank account and fall for it. Yeah, I mean... I guess they are kind of the dummies of the group because they were just like, what? This place is haunted? (laughs) Theo does just kind of seem like she goes from good time to good time, though. She wouldn't have done research regardless. If somebody told her that this place is crazy haunted and you might die, she'd be like, "Eh, let's figure it out. Yeah, I'm not quite sure, like, what kind of a person she is for uh, this to be a draw for her. Maybe maybe it's kind of an ego thing, the fact that she was, like, hand-selected is what made her into it. Maybe. Because for Eleanor, she just, like, she saw a trap door and she's like, I'm going to fall into this. (laughs) (laughs) This trap door is for Eleanor. (laughs) She, you know, she's all about trap doors, though, you know, like she. Doesn't Eleanor seem like the type of person to, like, talk only in third person? (laughs) (laughs) Eleanor's going down the haunted hallway. (laughs) Eleanor's climbing the bat stairs. (laughs) (laughs) Eleanor never used to like this library because it had a funny smell, but now Eleanor's in it. Oh, boy. (laughs) Eleanor saw something in that window. (laughs) That scene, though, I have to say, I'm making fun of her. 
the scene where she first goes out onto the, like the veranda. Oh yeah, and she looks up at the window, and the camera does that like it like crash zooms into down, her, and it almost like it's almost like the camera itself knocks her off the veranda. Oh man. Oh boy. There is so much incredible camera work in this. So movie. good. It's insane. There are scenes where we have like we're looming over these characters high up in these like insane ceilings. And then we just like shoot down to the floor and we're looking back up at them, or vice versa. Or there's scenes too, like where there's like the banging outside and they And cut, we go handheld. They cut for like reaction shots, but they're like such flashes of like flash on this person, flash on this person, flash on this person. And then we like flash on the doorknob, flash on this random cupid. On the hit. Flash on this. Oh. But then yeah. it, it, it cuts to like handheld stuff where like we're real sort of shaky cam footage and you're like it almost seems like we're in the perspective of a ghost. Oh. And like I don't know very many other movies that went from being like very traditional rigid. or yeah, yeah, traditional, rigid, and then just like jerky and handheld like that. It's so it does not seem of its time. And it's like such a weird choice and it works so fucking well. Yeah, and a lot of the angles are interesting too. Like a lot of times we're shooting from like the bottom corner of the bed up at them and like we'll we'll be in the cor- the top corner of the room. So like there's a lot of interesting perspectives from what was, the camera. What was that weird scene where she was like bending over to like look at something and like the camera just kind of like rotated with her? I don't. I can't even really remember exactly what it was. No, I don't remember what you're talking. Oh, about. but it was. In, it was like the camera did a figure eight in the exact opposite way that she was doing a figure eight with her body. I mean, I'm maybe exaggerating it a little bit, but it looked so strange. I loved every minute of it. Another really cool trick that they did is when we first see the spooky staircase. The the camera climbs the staircase, but like in like this. Oh yeah, like it's attached to the railing, right? Smooth, like racing yeah. up the staircase. I read how they did it. Oh cool. We were trying to figure it out. What we were watching it, so we were like, cameras back then were like big. Yeah. What they did was they they rigged like a dolly on the railing. Okay. And then they had the camera fall down backwards. Oh, cool. But they had it on like a wire so that they could control. So like it, it, it didn't wasn't like falling race down. Fast, yeah. And they got it to fall like smoothly down the staircase. And then they just sh- sh- uh, played the footage backwards and they sped it up. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's so smart. But it looks amazing because y- you can't see yeah. any any anything. Yeah, because if it's a spiral staircase, we will, if, if there's... We'll see, spiraling. The, we'll see the entire room, yeah, so yeah. there can't be anybody else around it. Mm-hmm. So smart. Man. Yeah, it was It was wonderful. There are a bunch of genius little moments, like especially in the cold open where we're watching a bunch of people um, just like die suddenly or commit suicide, like when that woman hangs herself, the, That's the caretaker. That's great. Yeah, and it's just like a single shoe falls off and hits the floor, but the other one stays on. Like there are, there are a lot of little moments. By the way, the narration at the beginning of this movie is just a little over the top. No, it is not. It's just a little no. over the top. Every Lovely. single line it's... break has like a quick little aside where like the narrator can't, he's really relishing this opportunity like it was some 90 odd very odd years ago shut where, up john uh, <laughs> like everything has a quick little like if i do say so myself uh like sort of beat that mm. was hilarious i do really like when the second wife dies when she falls down the stairs the camera work there is lovely because the we're almost the ghost in that scene where we yeah. we basically like race her off the main oh, stairs. Oh yes, I completely forgot about that. That and got she goes like a, down the I got stairs. A, I got a good reaction out of me too. I yeah, was, I, I did was, a full out gasp. I was like, <gasps> yeah, and like so great that we're doing this movie Heavens. so close to Psycho, right? Oh, so yeah. Good. Oh, it was so good. It was lovely. It, you know, in the in starting that strong with all those deaths and being really spooky up front, it really commands your attention because, like I've said this 
I said this at the top of the show, I haven't really given this film the respect it deserves. I haven't given it the attention it deserves. And just paying attention from like the first five minutes, I was just like, okay, you've got me. Uh, and then Eleanor's willy-nilly. But, you know, we love Eleanor, our Eleanor. At least let's she's get consistent. Into it. She's consistent. She, well, she's consistent throughout the adaptations. She's con- she is not consistent in the film. Okay, thank you very much. Because it is definitely, it's, she's a, it's a downward spiral. a mess. <laughs> yeah, she's very interested at the opportunity to be there. And she's excited and she's scared. And then she just, like, accepts it. And is like very into it very fast. It's like once the once she realizes that she can't have the doctor, all of a sudden her other suitor becomes so much more powerful. Like, oh, if I can't have the doctor, but the house wants me, I might as well go with the house. True. I've, I'm supposed to be here. True. I think the kind of like the image of the wallflower woman conflicts with the type of woman who would be supernaturally compelled by a haunted house is what makes her like a muddy soup because they're trying to make her meek, but it also, that meekness doesn't necessarily go all the time with the compulsions she has to this house. Especially for going there. Like she had to be a pretty fierce person to get there. And she did some really brave ass shit to get there. And then she's so meek while she's there and she's all over the place. Like she's, she's brave and she changes her hair and she, and she talks to herself so much while she drives to that house. Oh yeah. but but Oh, way to go, Eleanor. Yeah. It's going to be so great. You're so smart. They're real going to be upset that they didn't give you the car. I have something I want to say about that, but, um, (laughs) But yeah, she she is all over the place when she's at the house. Like she's she's drinking after she she says she wasn't gonna drink. You love that she, scene. I do love that like, scene. Like I sisters. like when they're friends. Yeah. Um. That's the thing. They are really. There are scenes where they're really good friends because Nell, uh, sorry, Theo is an incredibly manipulative person. It's I can't help but see it that way sometimes. I think Theo likes her. I think she's threatened by the fact that that Nell is naively head over heels for this doctor who she doesn't really know yeah i think it's just a like a not a sexual tension but like a an ego thing yeah it's, she's she's a hard character to get a read on and that's that's and i think it's also just for drama it. too like i think some of it's just um inflated conflict just to amplify the scenes a little bit just to mm. charge it up because this film isn't relying on visuals so we need to have some human conflict to to make people storm out of rooms a lot more than yeah. um, some wind and knocking on doors would, would. I like to assume that they wrote the characters as being friends sometimes and being at each other's throats other times or not being able to trust each other. Mm-hmm. And there was no real rhyme or reason for it. So the actress playing Theo was just like, you know what? She wants her. like, And she's like, I'm not going to say that to anybody. It's not going to come up at all in any of the dialogue. But I know it, and you're going to see it in my eyes. Because I think she does. Like, definitely. I I definitely, uh, I think Shirley Jackson confirmed that the character is oh, really? oh. to be a lesbian. But the, the novel came out in 1959, so like. Yeah, there was never a mention of it. As, as subtle as subtle can be. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Fun fact. This might not blow your mind the way it blows my mind, but Luke, the nephew of the woman who owns Hill House, uh-huh. who allowed them to stay, who's there just to be... A prick. <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of a prick. But, I mean, you could also use him as, like, a, um, he's our he's our blind, our double blind in the test, yada yada. Um, oh, like, that's true. But also the doctor kind of is. He just, like, he believes in this stuff, but he doesn't have any psychic abilities. True. Anyway, um, it's nice to have a skeptic. You need a skeptic. He is 
Dr. Jacoby from Twin Peaks. That means nothing. That means nothing to you. Okay, fine. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, why does this? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that happened. That happened because I'm looking at the cast David of characters. Bowie? <laughs> Pretty well. You don't remember Dr. Jacoby? He's got the glasses. One's red, one's green. No. Or blue. And in like, the return, he's like, you can buy your own gold-plated shovel to shovel yourself out of this shit. No? No. Okay. Just me, then. <laughs> and two other people listening. <laughs> Going back to the car sequence. Yeah. The inner monologue, and this is something that I'm seeing a a theme with after having watched Psycho and now Any doing movie like, post-1960. Yeah, you're just like, oh, women in car scenes. It's just like, they go together like voiceover monologues in this car scene. Oh, boy. <laughs> they did a really great job uh, with Eleanor's inner monologue and her facial expressions. And you made the suggestion when you're watching because I was like, she's doing a really great job making a man like a facial manner- mannerism for each sentence they did actually and this is what you suggested play pre-record the audio okay. and play it for them while they were acting Got it. they did it too with all of the sound effects in the house they had the foley artist go oh. in the house beforehand and record all of the bangs and all of the physical sounds that the actors were hearing so most often um they did do a few changes but for most of the film what we hear is what the actors heard, wow. just with some enhancements. Of course, there's some pretty. Loud so they're a- they're yeah. acting to like the exact same bangs that we're hearing, which very cool. Uh, which is so smart, and they they pre-recorded them all in that space. Yeah, and like if they're actually using a a house, then it's not done on a set. Then it's sounds the interiors are I think are a set, but the exterior was a house. Got it. Okay. In England. Oh, okay, so he went there, recorded the sounds, and then they just played them back on set. Mm. My mistake. That makes sense. That's cool. Isn't that I like cool? That a lot. Yeah, that's really cool. I thought that was really cool, especially the um, the banging sequence, which there's two of them. The first one, it's it's quite long. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I really like it. I think it's it a really good. effective scare, especially for 1963, having the the sound moving around the room like that, like in a theater experience, that would have been really scary for audiences. That's a good point. And. Two vulnerable girls alone in the room, plus the door's not fucking locked. When we find that yeah. out, I'm like, women, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Find the key. I lock doors if I'm home alone. The whole time I was thinking about the connecting door between Eleanor and Theo's room, I was like, close that fucking door. And they never yeah. did. Why don't they just go? It sounds like Eleanor is the kind of girl who might lock her door. Why don't they go to Eleanor's room and then lock the connecting door? Yeah. I think they do that in the 1999 haunting. No, in the 1999 haunting. And then it goes in her room. No, Ellen, Eleanor's there. She hears the banging and she immediately gets up. She's like, I'm coming, mother. And the banging persists. And then Catherine Zeta-Jones just calls for Eleanor from her bedroom and doesn't move from the bed. That's what happens in the... In- I, guess, I guess that's true. I don't, I don't know what it is about that 1999 haunting, but in that I scene... I love it, so shush. In that scene, there's something about it where I'm, I, I just... It's like, were you ever going to get out of this bed and try and, like, help yourself? Or were you just like, now, now, ghost coming. Oh, so annoying. Come fix it for me. <laughs> I don't know why. Shut up, John. <laughs> and I like Catherine Zeta-Jones. I think she's a good actress. So the only thing that we have not talked about is probably the the greatest and maybe only visual scare of the film is when the door buckles downstairs in the second banging sequence 
I don't really have anything to say other than the fact that I think it looks magnificent. Where the door's swelling open. Oh. Yeah. So good. You started falling asleep. I did. When we were watching it. Yep. And I was like, John, you imbecile. <laughs> you are missing the single greatest moment in haunted house cinema. It's it's one of those things where you can't take it as a dig at the movie. It can't. I fall asleep during everything. I fall asleep during things I like after drinking a full energy drink to myself. Like, it's just, it's a superpower I have that has no use. <laughs> so don't take that as a review or or any sort of, you know, judgment on the movie. It's it's just, it's just part of what makes me me, I guess. But that door swell. That door swell was so good. Looked so Oh, man, I loved it. I don't know how they made it look so fucking perfect. Yeah. And I mean, and, uh, it's just kind of like a a domino effect of, of sequences at the end of the movie where everything is leading to, to Eleanor's death mm-hmm. toward the end. Like the climbing of the spiral staircase, up at the spiral staircase where we see uh, the doctor's missing wife just like appear out of like a That's hatch. That's so spooky. And she looks terrified. Like, because she shows up and she thinks this is all bullshit. And so she stays in the one room she shouldn't stay in, but she disappears and no one knows what happened to her. But we find her like disgruntled on the roof later on. Um, I love that disgruntled on the roof. Yeah, it's it's a band <laughs> like that I had in high school. Like she's fucking Chevy Chase trying to put up <laughs> the Christmas lights. Yeah, just like watching old Christmas footage. <laughs> oh boy, and uh, and yeah, it's at some point. Um, uh, Eleanor decides she's gonna leave. Luke's going to bring her back home, but she takes off without him. And then she dies in the very spot wife number one died yeah. in her carriage. Oh yeah. yeah, right when the doctor's wife is like running across the road. Like the whole thing is great. And uh, there's there are a few movies and ghost stories that it really reminds me of. Usually like time loop stuff, I guess. But it's like faded to to like like yeah. there's no reason for she. She wasn't trying to scare Eleanor. There wasn't like this weird conspiracy. It was just that the wife was lost in the attic and opened a hatch and happened to scare Eleanor at that time. And she doesn't even know how she made her way outside. Like the ghosts definitely just brought her there. Like all of a sudden she was outside wandering around. And because she was out there, Eleanor either swerved to avoid her and hit the tree or she was already on her way to the tree so she could commit suicide and be there forever. But there's something about it where it's it's predetermined, it's faded, there was no escape. This was always how it was going to go down. And mm-hmm. I love that. I think that is such a cool ending and just like a perfect bow on a ghost story. I also really loved the visual of the the statue in the greenhouse with all the characters and how they didn't really know who this one character was. And they're like, oh, it was the caretaker, the one that uh, oh, wasn't yeah. watching and, and Abigail died. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... So many scenes, Eleanor goes back to that statue and she's dancing like the most eeriest fucking solo ballroom dance. And it's just such a creepy visual. Well, I also get the the impression that all of the actions everybody are taking lead toward Eleanor's death, whether they know it or not. You know, like um, Theodore is is reading Abigail's diary throughout the movie mm-hmm. and, and like, that never, never really comes into play no and i mean like you would think that maybe like based on like some of the stuff we've seen with her character she's going to use that against her but i think just what happens is that we they all become a new set of characters that are playing out a familiar story whether they know it or not mm-hmm. 
we've got Eleanor, who is the caretaker, and I, I guess you could argue at some point Theo is maybe Abigail. Like, they don't really establish that a whole lot. And, you know, like, the doctor, because she's in love with him, maybe, like, he could have maybe represented Mr. Crane and whatnot. But, um, I don't know, they don't, they don't flesh that out a whole, whole lot. But if the ghosts are essentially, like, sending out feelers to see who's um, receptive to it, they're mm-hmm. grabbing onto whoever's there that'll that'll uh, latch on to you know whatever cycle's happening right now. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that. So in the the nineteen ninety nine version, she's like a descendant. She's like an yeah. ancestor, and she, it's like she hears the voices calling her from her own house. Yeah, in this one, and I'm assuming the novel because this is, this is a closer adaptation to the novel. They just have mirroring stories. Abigail, Hugh Crane's orphaned daughter, grew frail in her her room. She never left it after after her mother died and her father died. And at one night, she's knocking on the wall for her caretaker, who was too busy, like, canoodling out on the veranda, that she died. And Eleanor cared for her infirm mother for 12 years, who would get Eleanor's attention by tapping her cane on the wall. And one night, she just didn't go because she was just so sick of... yeah. Her mother depending on her and her mother died. So those stories mirror each other, but they aren't they aren't related in any way, which which makes it kind of like a case of fate or just like reincarnation without actually being reincarnation. Like the world has patterns. Yeah. And Eleanor is a square peg and the Hill House has a square hole. Yeah, 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 totally. It could just be that she is 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 grabbing onto that story. Uh, because it's it's like a rudder that she can hold on to. It sort of like steers her life in a direction. Because especially now that her mother's gone, she's she's kind of wandering around trying to figure out. And what she to has do. nothing. She doesn't have anything. No. Yeah, exactly. And like it could just be that she is, you know, slightly insane and losing her grip on reality. And this is the one thing that sort of makes sense to her. Mm-hmm. So it, it it doesn't even necessarily have to be that it's faded. It's that she made it that way. Like it the the connective tissue there is actually of her own construction. But it's a ghost story. So like I love thinking that it's 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 faded and it's it's we're just repeat like Yeah, that's what's great about fucking itself. ghosts. <laughs> yeah, because I mean if they can exist outside of time, then they can see a very large picture and they can see patterns as small and um and as odd as they might be, and then just sort of like bring them together. I think that's kind of a cool idea for a ghost story. So what is your rating on The Haunting? My rating on The Haunting. I can't believe you don't like the fucking story. I don't love this story. I think the story is just like a little like meh. Maybe you're just oversaturated. I think I might be burned down on it. Yeah, that's true. Because it's, I don't know that like when I saw The 1999 Haunting, I was like, oh, this story again. (laughs) 11-year-old me has seen it already. Like, highly doubt it. Highly doubt it. Probably just watched it a bunch uh, because my family always had it on for some dumb reason and you love it. So it was always on. And here we are remaking all those things from my childhood (laughs) that I've watched a thousand times. But I'm going to give the 1963 Haunting the 3.5 out of 4 it deserves. Yay! (laughs) That makes me feel nice. This movie rocks. This movie's great. I'm not super crazy about the story, but if I can remove that little gripe that I have that this movie definitely does not deserve, uh, I I can recognize this movie for being as as badass as it is. It is, like, visual as fuck. Oh, I love this movie. Yeah, so I'm- I love how this movie looks. I'm giving this movie a 3.5 out of 4 as well. All right. Uh, My only dig is that, yeah, Eleanor's a bit wishy-washy, but- you know, she's the Eleanor we know and love. Yeah, and like, were the 50s and 60s really that great at writing female characters? Right. <laughs> so, wham, wham. 
at least on the screen. I'm sure Shirley Jackson has wrote an amazing book. Well, you can get into the psychology of a character who's kind of all over the place with a novel better than you can on screen because on screen it's just like, make up your goddamn mind. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. Because you can only do so much internal monologuing with a film. And what they do in The Haunting is already borderline too much. So. Good point. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about a movie that we didn't actually plan to pair with The Haunting. We just watched it right after and I fell in love with it. I couldn't, I couldn't not. Like the the there were too many images of this movie that immediately screamed uh for a double feature in my mind. If not for the podcast, then at least for that night. And lo and behold, it was it was the perfect idea because we are here to talk about 1962's Carnival of Souls. Good luck, Mary. Stop by and see us the next time you're in. Thank you, but I'm never coming back. I don't know about that girl. How do you mean? Day before yesterday, she was the only one of three girls to survive an accident. She thinks she feel a little something. Maybe in her place, I'd do the same thing. Just pick up life again. But I still say she's behaving strange. I have no desire for the close company of other people. My dear, you cannot live in isolation from the human race. Who's the man in the hall? Maybe you heard the boards pop or something. I didn't hear you, Mrs. Thomas. I saw him. There's nobody there. He's been following me. That's all there is to it. That old pavilion out by the lake. Somehow you associate it with all this, don't you? You think I imagined all of it, don't you? You think I'm insane? I didn't say that. I don't mean that. That's just what I need. Get mixed up with some girls off a rocker. I don't want to be left alone. From 1962, Herc Harvey's Carnival of Souls is currently sitting at an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb, 3 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and 3.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Can I just say that the name Herc Harvey is definitely a superhero pseudonym? Oh, yeah. He only made one movie because he was too busy saving souls from... Enter name of Batman City. Oh, uh, Gotham. Gotham. There we go. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Nailed that. Nailed it. I thought you were going to say it's like a Steven Spielberg thing, like where he couldn't do E.T. and Poltergeist at the same time, where it's like, oh, it's not me, Mr. Orison Wells. It's, uh, uh, Herc Harvey. <laughs> Herc Harvey did it. Like, why are you wearing that cape? <laughs> oh, yeah, like it's the chiropractor from Play Night from Outer Space. Like, no, this is Bella Lugosi. Like, it kind of looks like your chiropractor was wearing a cape. Like, no, no, no. Mr. Lugosi, look at the hands. <laughs> so, Kim. Uh, I want to only do back shots. <laughs> <laughs> I want to sniff these flowers and get hit by car off screen. Uh, that's 
for all you Plan 9 from Outer Space fans out there. So many of you. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Um, so, Kim, uh, as somebody who only just watched this movie for the first time. I have nothing to say about this movie yeah, because it is fucking wonderful. I was going to say, what took you so long? What did you think of it? And uh, explain everything to me. Go. I'm in a halo glow. I'm so glad to hear I that. I just like, it, oh, I, it had me from the fucking title cards. John. They are so good. Yeah. So, like, you're aware of, you were aware of this movie, right? The only thing I knew about this movie was the lead actress's look, like, her really expressive, like, oh, eyes. Yeah. yeah. And the, like, ghoul out the window. There's a lot of good gifs of this movie. Yeah. A lot of good gifs. And I have to say, you were the one that spoiled the ghoul out of the window. Spoiled it. With your tweets. From, like, a year ago. Oh, well, sorry about that. Yeah, you ruined it. Yeah, I've seen this movie before. Sorry, lady. And you tweeted about it. Yeah. And you knew I hadn't seen it. If it, if you really to be me, fair, though. You really you... want me to twist that knife in? Pretty sure I watched it while you were in the fucking <laughs> to room. To be fair, you did try to make me watch it, like, on three different occasions. Like, you were watching <laughs> it while I was in the room, and I was like, no. I just I have wanna, it on all the time. I want to be on Twitter. And then you finished it. You're and like, you're, you're like, missing art. <laughs> <laughs> you finished it, and then you were like, that was really good. We should watch it. I was like, no. I'm on Reddit now. And then, like, three weeks later, you're like, we should watch Carnival Souls. It's really great. I'm like, no. I'm watching the Nightmare on Elm Street box set. Oh boy, yeah. Well, whatever. You're here now. I'm happy about and it. And that's marriage. Uh, here Kinda. we are, a year later, and I'm I'm eating it because this movie is wonderful, and I'm so sad it wasn't in my eye holes earlier. No, it's it's totally fine. You know, it's not like the kind of movie that you could just be like, oh shit, it's seven o'clock on Thursday night. Let's watch Carnival of Souls. Like, who's gonna say yes to that if they've never seen Carnival of Souls? You know. To be fair. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this movie. This is a huge movie. I know, but I don't, like, I didn't know anything about it. That's good. That's really good. Did you go into it knowing anything about it? Uh, the, the first time I saw it? Yeah. No. I Like you, I had seen photos and reaction gifs on, online, and that's kind of about it. Like, it looked very strange and eerie, and I was about that, so... Uh, yeah, no, I, I did not know what I was in for. I would say you knew more about this movie going in than I did when I first saw it. But also, we're just, we're just good movie watchers. So, you know, five minutes in, like, she's dead, right? Is she dead? Is this whole thing about her being dead? Like, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, in 1962, that was pretty mind-blowing. Now, it's a story that we're familiar with. So you get to sort of, you get to have your second viewing the first time you watch it. Because mm-hmm. you get to break down the the science behind how they they put this together yeah but honestly it didn't it doesn't affect the movie for me at all because it's it's one of two things like yes maybe she's been dead all along but also i think maybe kind of what happened was was almost like a final destination scenario and the man that she keeps seeing is like her final dance partner. Okay. And she's supposed to be dancing with him, but she's not. She's still alive, which is yeah. why all these people have memories of her going to this new town and living there and why she's struggling to do so because she's basically got like one foot in the grave. Yeah, totally. I think she is a specter of, not a specter of death. I think she is a specter, like a ghost that is walking the earth. She is dead, but her body hasn't been discovered, so it's like she is an apparition. See, I think that's still part one, though. Like, that's still version one of the story. I think the second version is that she's the Schrodinger's cat, so she is both dead uh, and alive, so she's in the well, car. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I'm saying. Oh, okay. She's, I think she's, she is still in the water when she is at the other town. 
Is yeah, how I see it. she's both. So yeah. She is alive still and she's dead. But the light flickers occasionally and like the world realizes that they shouldn't be seeing her or interacting with her. I guess. Because there's like when she goes to buy that dress and all of a sudden they just don't see her anymore. Yeah. Because she doesn't fucking exist. It's not that she's a ghost because that, that's what really separates this movie from something like The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense is genius in what it does, but Bruce Willis never talks to anybody but the little boy. Yeah, like it's just really artful filmmaking yeah. in The Sixth Sense. In Carnival of Souls, she has interactions She's with, got a job. She's yeah. rented an apartment. Yeah, she talks to the landlady. She gets advice from a saleswoman. She goes on a date. She sexually harassed several times. <laughs> Constantly. That guy's the worst. That oh guy my is, god! Oh, that guy he is, the, is worst. the biggest, most disgusting sleazeball. But I have to say, I love watching him. He gives me such Pete Campbell vibes from Mad Men, <laughs> like early Pete Campbell, like the the. It's a I'm chip gonna, and dip. Yeah, I'm gonna get a steak and you're gonna bring it to me. <laughs> I don't like you like this. I don't like, like you like fuck this. Fuck you, Pete. Peggy's gonna dance. Oh my god, Pete. Oh. Just fucking return that that gun and get a chip dip. <laughs> <laughs> it's a chip and dip. We've are we've got to. We've got to. Why do we know so much about oh. that show? And just Pete Campbell. <laughs> it just it's all it's the Pete show. Oh. Can I ask you a question? And like we shouldn't be talking about this in the podcast. Did he shave his head or did he they, did? Was he just okay? Yeah, his what hairline is not receding that what much. What a fucking commitment. Yeah. So Carnival is sold. He was in Escape to Witch No. Mm-hmm. What movie was it? He was in Alaska? He was in a Disney movie where he's like befriends a polar bear or something yeah and they're trying to find their dad in his down plane <laughs> yeah i've never seen it but it, there's a lot of trailers <laughs> there's in my a video lot of tapes. trailers yeah oh man there was a run of disney movies where it was like oh we're in alaska and our planes broke it down and we oh no dad's out. missing also there's gold somewhere yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> what do you think about the music of Carnival of Souls. I've seen so many movies of this era that have the exact same type of score. Like every Ed Wood movie practically. All of your psychedelic horror movies. The the real ch- like cheap made for $33,000 PS. That was the budget for this movie. Why? $33,000. Oh my god. I know. And this is the only movie where I think that organ music actually fits. Like, every other movie that I've seen use it is just like, oh, this will be creepy and eerie, and, like, my grandma plays organ, so, like, we can pay her a few bucks to do it, and it'll be great for our movie. But it actually makes sense in Carnival of Souls, because that's her job. And also the fact that she works for a... She works for the church as an organist, but she's not religious is also kind of an interesting thing. It's one of my favorite parts about the movie. Yeah. And I think it's just because it's so unique to see that kind of character coming out of 1962. She's very upfront about not being religious and being there like solely for the paycheck. And also the fact that she's kind of antisocial and I all these things might be because she's dead. It might be because she's dead. Um... And also kind of like walking this weird on earth limbo. Yeah, yeah. But her like ambivalence to the social, the socializing required of somebody her age, like going out on dates and like the church social and introducing herself to everybody. She's so indifferent to them, which is something I completely relate to. Um, Despite not being dead. Despite not being dead. And I don't know if this is something that I should be proud of, but like, it's not often I see a woman on screen who is not fitting the cookie cutter mold that they're supposed to be fitting in because 
women are on screen for like one of two reasons and it's like to be the love interest uh the much younger love interest or to add some kind of an emotional center and they do that by like caring for children being mothers being sisters being wives and I am a wife like don't get me wrong I love it but like it's not my (laughs) identity and I'm not a mother and I don't plan on it and I'm also like I'm not church going I'm kind of a loner and I like being a loner and I don't see myself often and this character she's she's dead but (laughs) she's so cool well you're just dead inside is what it comes down to she's dead everywhere I just need more animated corpses on screen so that I can feel represented well I gotta say we started watching I Lost My Body but you couldn't handle it now like I guess dude's hand it was a dude's hand if we had a female set of hands maybe they wouldn't have killed that bird yeah they killed a pigeon and I was like no more of this you missed a great fucking shot and her baby yeah they smashed her baby it's I think life is chaos and it's just like you're always like no a moment away from death (laughs) this is not how I like my cartoons there is a fucking brilliant moment in a garbage can with that dead bird later on though that is so fucking worth it but uh, getting back to Carnival of Souls I, I totally get that she is such a weird character too every i think if you were flipping through channels and this was you had never seen carnival of souls and you came across it uh like you might be struck at how like gorgeous some of the contrasted scenes are in this movie because it's like some brilliant use of black and white very calculated use of black and white i think okay i had to announce it like the whole movie you know that's why i'm hoping that you'll you'll come back to that because you are definitely like our chief operating officer on that but um, (laughs) i'm the black and white patrol (laughs) at least on this movie that's for sure um the acting seems very weird and her and her walk she almost walks like the the female alien mars attacks yeah she's very stiff and like every step is calculated and first you think it's because it's like not great acting but she is definitely the most well acted of this movie because like her not psychologist psychologist is the worst actor i've ever seen in a black and white film he gets a lot of screen time too is the He's thing not right? good but, but I... the landlord lady makes up for it because she's, she's real good. lovely but I, I think some of it is just that Things are supposed to feel strange and off and odd. Yeah. And also, I mean, a lot of local people were cast in the movie. Like, again, $33,000. They did not have a lot to work with. They paid off local shop owners and people. Like, there are almost no permits for this movie. Uh, And they would use local people in the movie as much as they could. So there are some unpaid actors in the movie. And the psychiatrist might be one of them, I'm thinking. I don't know. He talked a lot. Yeah, but I mean, like, you could throw a rock out our window right now and find somebody who loves to be the center of attention. You could throw it across the room, hit me, and find somebody who likes to be the center of attention, and yeah, I'll be in your movie despite not having any acting experience. Oh boy, you'd be so bad. Yeah. And <laughs> Listen, I... I'm not a psychiatrist. <laughs> We're like, what are you? That was the best moment of this whole fucking movie. <laughs> oh, like, why? Why are we doing this? Like, you're writing her a prescription. Like, you're you're doing, like, the, the Freudian thing where, like, you don't look at her, like, in your, your chair and I'm stuff. Sorry. Sorry, I had my back to you this whole time. Like, it's totally not a setup for a big scare later in the movie, but oh man, is it a good setup for a scare later in this movie? Because that chair turns around and it's fucking death there waiting for her. Now it's not, I say death. It is the man, the pale-faced dude who appears throughout a whole chunk of this movie. He's so spook. He's just like a cool And he's ghoul. all over the fucking place. Yeah, and he's not alone. That's the thing. There's a whole bunch of ghouls. Yeah, there are a lot of ghouls. Yeah, and like as time goes on, they keep multiplying. One would it... even say there's a whole carnival of them. You would think so. Yeah. 
Souls, really. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Just in a cosmic dance with life and death. Yeah, I think they're a great like representation because you need like um something physical to represent death and the dead mm-hmm. and like the place that people go when they die. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure whether this is true or not, but like are the girls that she died with among the people dancing? I think so. There are there are a few scenes where we see those girls coming out of the water, right? See, I'm not 100% sure. I can't really remember. But, like, I, I love the fact that the, the man that haunts her in particular is not somebody that's familiar to her. Yeah. And that he's the same guy every time, and so it's like he's, like, chasing her down. But he's never really trying to grab her like especially when we're in the house too like he's just sitting downstairs and she sees him and then he gets up and walks away like he's just reminding her that she doesn't belong there and that she like he is essentially the other side beckoning her to like not come into the light but to embrace the darkness Mm -hmm. it also adds like an air of mystery too because we we don't come out of this knowing what the afterlife is like or whether the carnival is anything true to what she's experiencing being dead in that car. Mm-hmm. But the carnival is almost like the big show that you go to when you when the light is out. But yeah. like the the big show that you go to is the story you tell the dying and the, the people that are afraid of death. Yeah. So or- it's almost like she's dancing with the romance of being dead, but she'll never mm-hmm. actually know like what dead is until she succumbs to it. Interesting. I like so, like, I don't think he's actually there. But, like, I love the idea that he's her dance partner, and that's why, like, he's yeah. assigned to, like, getting her. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I think I've always seen the carnival as life and as her, like, in her life, and how, you know, the carnival comes into town, and it is big and bright and beautiful, and it's super entertaining, and then it just ends one day. You know, and then it just sits there and decays and everybody sees it and everybody recognizes it, but they just drive past it. Like the way that you would drive past a cemetery on your way home from work. Like you don't think about it. You drive past that cemetery every single day, but at no point do you think to yourself, oh, I'm going to live there one day. Oh, John, that's bleak. (laughs) I also think that was just like a really convenient set piece that they happened upon. Oh, fuck yeah, And that they probably wrote the whole movie around it. I think so. But it fucking works. Yeah. Because there's no way that they were like, okay, we just need an abandoned carnival with a really great decrepit bandstand and go. Like, there's no way that just happened. They had to have been like, old creepy carnival, eh? Let me rub my chin and then get $30,000 and action. I don't know, though, because, like, we drove around the States a lot recently, and we saw a bunch of, like, maybe possibly abandoned amusement parks. We did see a few, which is more than none. (laughs) Exactly. True. Good point, John. I think they're just everywhere. I mean, like, I don't know how true that was in 1962, but, I mean, now... It's not uncommon for you to drive into a town and find the the entire thing filled with ghosts. We did see a few ghosty towns. Yeah. I Gar- mean, I didn't see any ghosts, but I'm sure they were there. Shit, what else do we talk about? Like, this movie, there's, there's almost, there's not a lot to this movie. It It's almost something that you need to talk about with visual aid. Like, I need a slideshow with me. To sort of like pinpoint the scenes that I want to talk about and just like composition of shots and yeah. whatnot. But um, 
this movie achieves so much with so little. I don't understand how how it's such an entertaining watch for what it is. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of really interesting cuts and zooms and stuff that I just like I fucking love them because they have so much personality and they add so much flair to the scenes, but also there's so much care in the like the composition of the actors, like every scene you could screen grab and make a photo out of it, like, oh, like a yeah. still. Every um, every actor is always like balanced with another actor or balanced to the set. Like there's there's such a great understanding of the cohesiveness of like the full screen image, and the fact that the director is like a, is one and done. It's like unbelievable because the thing that I noticed, and this is getting into the the black and white color scheme, is that. This film surprised me right away because of how, like, starkly white it is. Mm. So most films, especially horror films of the 1950s and 60s that were in black and white, really utilize their dark blacks. Yeah. Uh, Psycho, The Haunting for sure. Like, they have they have their mid-tones and their light tones, but 40 to 50% of the image is dark and black. Mm-hmm. And Carnival Souls, for the, for the first 5, 10, 15 minutes, is... All white and light gray. We do not get any black. Yeah. And the first instance we have any dark color on the screen is when she's driving at night. Psycho. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Just another one of those girls in cars. um, Hell yeah. Moments. But that's when she has the first uh, experience with her, her ghoul, her visitor. And throughout the movie, it's mostly brightly shot like the carnivals during the day her apartment is really white and bright it's really only when things start to go awry that we get the the infiltration of like dark colors like when she first um doesn't exist in the world and she can't hear any of the outside sounds she takes off a black dress to put on her gray dress and then she doesn't fit in in the world Mm. like there's um there's some really interesting uses of of shade which is so fun when you think that they did exist in full color so like they had to understand that like okay we can't have any bright reds in this shot because they will play as dark gray and we are not doing dark gray in this moment we are doing we're gonna only do like lavenders and lilacs and and periwinkles and that's it i also don't necessarily know the significance of it but you pointed out that she goes to the exact same tree both times there are two scenarios where like the world doesn't seem to recognize that she exists but when she reaches a tree where there's like a a bird chirps yeah there's some sort of songbird there like everything kind of snapped back in and i don't necessarily know if it's supposed to be like this is the tree of life and that that's essentially what it represents or if it's if it's just to make you really scratch your head at the end of the movie because it's it, it it's an odd thing when it happens the first time but once it happens a second time the exact same way you start to think that there's something going on mm-hmm. um but it's so funny yeah all the stuff that you were talking about with with the black and white especially given the the, the day that we're recording this um there's been a whole bunch of snow and i've kind of just been at home getting work done and i've been watching like old film noirs and like we just watched this we just watched carnival of souls last night so like we were having part of this conversation already and i I could not help but realize that like oh yeah what i love about these movies is that 50 percent of the screen is fucking black yeah i just i love seeing how they're able to use lighting in such dark settings in black and white film and yeah it's bizarre 
how bleached this movie is in all of the scenes where she's still alive. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think like, yeah, the darkness slowly creeps in. And especially when it's like really surrounding her is, is when the ghouls show up. There's there's a lot of this. Actually, this is actually a really good time to talk about um, an article that's on the website at nofspodcast.com written by Maxwell Peterson, really breaking down like everything we're talking about here. It's something called liminal space. Uh, and he, he goes into it in exquisite detail. And if you like Carnival of Souls or just like cinematography in general, you absolutely have to check out this article. But something that he talks about a lot that really resonated with me when we were watching it this time is that use of reflection. Like he talks about the the glass, the the pane of glass on her windshield and in her bedroom window being the liminal space. Oh, I that forgot exists. about the reflections in this. Yeah, movie. so it's it's the space that exists between two worlds, and she is kind of at this moment inhabiting. She's got a foot in the grave and a foot like, out of it. Uh, is kind of the idea. So like, there's the. I told the, you she's Schrodinger's cat. She is. That's a great way to describe it. But, like, the world of the living, the world of the dead. But like when she sees the man outside of her window, which is just fucking impossible and just so fucking great and ghoulish and scary. When she looks back, she sees her reflection. And like that constantly happens where she sees him, but then she sees herself because she is dead. She belongs in the world that he inhabits just as much as she does. But she doesn't realize it yet, so it hasn't happened. So it is basically following Sixth Sense rules, like, they don't know they're dead. Yeah. So really, like, if if um, Bruce Willis believes he can open the basement door because he's alive, then he can. Yeah. But well, it's like Ghost with be- Patrick Swayze. Because he starts doubting that he can open the basement door, he cannot, and then he fully realizes that he is dead. It's true. It's all coming full circle. <laughs> we solved it. Yeah. Is there... I'm sure there is, but is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we get to ratings? I think we, I think we nailed everything. I, I said, we did not. I'm gonna tell you right well, now. Well, nailed we everything not. that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, like, of course. I wanted to mention that the landlord was lovely when she made her the sandwich. She is great. And she poured that heaping cup of coffee. <laughs> and she believes her when she says that there's a scary guy outside. And she gets so scared. Yeah. She's just like, don't drink that coffee. <laughs> she was great, and like the wiener. Um, co-neighbor oh he's such a great wiener he's such a weasel he's the biggest creep he's so gross and like weird blatant gross for 1962 like i was Mm. not expecting expecting him to be so out there with his creepishness because he is like a dog and the the lead actress the the actress that plays mary her eyes are so fucking expressive Mm -hmm. how she did not become like the screamiest scream queen of the 60s like is beyond me because she she, she should a, have gone on to make like eight movies with William Castle. Oh, she makes a great fucking scared face. Like her, yeah. her eyes are so wide. She's all I remembered about this, like new going into this film was like just her scared face mm-hmm. because her, her face is uh, expressive unlike anything I've ever seen before. So good. So much like The Haunting, I'm giving Carnival Souls a 3.5 out of 4. I love how this movie looks. I think it's a great story. The way it's presented is insane. Um, but I mean, maybe we could have had a better movie if we didn't get a bunch of locals to act in a bunch of scenes. Uh, <laughs> but holy shit, like everything about it, the editing, the score, the lighting, the cinematography, this movie, I, uh, maybe I should, I'm sticking with 3.5 out of 4. Uh, I'm going to give Carnival of Souls a 4 out of 4. Yeah? Yeah. Damn. I'm in the glow. I just watched it. I love it. And to be honest, even the stuff that's like a little bit ham, like the not psychologist psychologist and his acting, I kind of love it right now. Okay. It's just adding to it for me. It's just a little. 
yeah, this movie's fucking dope. I'm really sad at myself for for just now discovering it. No, 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 no. It, no, I'm hey, just every the other... hours I've missed. Okay. The every other time I've watched it, it's been on like Roku or like it was just on two in the morning on some weird off-brand public access channel so we saw it on criterion it looks gorgeous you saw it you saw it at the right time i fucking loved it it was wonderful i'm so glad to hear that that's so great so carnival of souls wins in our head-to-head which i mean i don't know that's necessarily a framework that we (laughs) constantly keep but if you're keeping score at home carnival of souls is our winner let us know what you thought of both of these movies which one scared you the most which one you think is a better use of black and white which one you think is just more mind-blowing or if they were just your first watch like let us know your first thoughts of both of these movies yeah even if you didn't like them you don't have to like them i don't really love the story in the haunting Shut up, John. (laughs) (laughs) But you can let us know all of your thoughts and opinions on Twitter at NOFS Podcast, uh, in the Nightmare on Film Street subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash Nightmare on Film Street, and of course, in the Horror Movie Fiend Club at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. Nightmare on Film Street is listener-supported. We are a labor of love and terror. If you would like to support us and support all of the Nightmare on Film Street endeavors, head to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street to throw us a dollar or two and give us your monthly support. In return, you're going to unlock some really cool rewards like bonus episodes, shoutouts on the show and social media, producer credits, access to our episode archive, and tons more. Check out all the rewards and everything you can get for supporting Nightmare on Film Street at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. But until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.